0: To geek on film with your hosts, Robbie Holmes and John Hosh. Hey, folks! Welcome to episode nine of Geek on Film. I'm Robbie.
1: Hello, everyone. I'm John.
0: Uh, this week's main review, as you saw in the title, is "Don't Worry, Darling," but we do have a bunch of other things to get through. Uh, And we're going to discuss this week uh, television shows that are sort of ongoing, uh, a few movies that are current and released, uh, either new releases or uh, new to you, uh, and then our main review. So let's jump into our uh, episodes of television. Let's talk about She-Hulk. What did you think of this week's episode of She-Hulk, episode six?
1: So episode six is the fun episode where um, Jen, it's like, it kind of breaks up whatever's going on in the, in the show because it's a wedding episode and um, she breaks the fourth wall and she says, you know, this is, this is how weddings happen. They always just come out of nowhere. So um, I think again, I, I really enjoy this show. I enjoy everyone on it. I think it's a great ensemble piece. Um, To me, like my only criticism for the most part is like sometimes the CGI looks a little iffy Mm -hmm. and they're too short. I really wish that these were like an hour long uh, every week because um, the second I like finally start getting into it and really, really enjoying it, I get the credits.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think this was another one where no post credit scene or mid credit Mm -hmm. scene Uh, so that's again, strange. I, I, I'm starting to think it might be related to the fact that they reordered these episodes. Um, that was Mm. one of the things that I had heard is that episode one was not supposed to be the first episode. Um, and they felt like they had to shift things around storyline wise. And I think also probably a little bit of rendering wise. Sure. sure, Um, so I think this is, we're starting to see a little bit of the fallout of that is that's why I don't think they have these like fully fleshed out rendered sections that include She-Hulk for those uh, post-credit scenes. Um, yeah. Because I feel like they probably allude to something that was what the previous next episode was. Mm-hmm. So um, it just feels a little bit like uh, they they shuffled things around so they had to make some changes. Yeah. Um, at least I've heard that the order has changed and that's uh, been reported on a couple of podcasts. Interesting. Um, I do think that the show has really hit its stride a little bit in this episode. I think it got back to sort of the funness I think the CGI was a little bit better on this episode in my opinion than the mm-hmm. previous ones. Um, and I think the uh, Jamila Jamel is, is awesome. I think she was so great in this episode. Um, and she looks like a cartoon character without being rendered anyway. Like they, <laughs> her makeup and everything they've done with her look is so amazing. Yeah. Um, uh, it really is. Uh, it's so much fun to see her. Uh, I mean, i I love her from the good place, but like, you know, overarchingly, she's one of the like rock stars that I was excited when they cast her. So, um, yeah, I think this was a really fun episode and, and, and silly and and fun, like, you know, n- not a huge, uh, th- theme moving, uh, story moving, uh, episode, but I think, you know, she let us know that right at the beginning. Um, yeah.
1: And, and like, um, you know, it's nice to kind of get a little bit farther away from the law firm for an episode, um, you know, kind of with Jen at the, at the wedding, um, we do we do follow one um lawsuit that's happening at the uh, at the firm with uh, Mr. Immortal, I think his name is. yep um who actually in the comic books is a mutant. so I don't know. they didn't say he's not a mutant. yep, so that I think that's like the second mutant that's been in the MCU that we still haven't talked about. so
0: pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that storyline was fun. Cause you got a chance to see, uh, uh, Nikki and what's her name? Boot, boots, uh, Renee, uh, Renee come back together to figure out that story right. and to run with it while Jen was away. So mm-hmm. fun, fun to bring those characters along and give them something to do in this episode where she was completely sidelined. Um, and it, you know, It feels a little bit like a bottle episode, but there's still a lot of other things going on. The bottle episode idea was that it would be cheaper to do everything in one room. Yeah. Well, this is not really one room, right? Like this is a venue. This is so I I don't think they got the benefit of the cost. A lot of times they would do that when a a season was running over in cost and budget. They would do an episode where somebody gets locked in a freezer or right, like those traditional tropes from the 80s uh, sitcom world. Um, little, I don't know little, that they saved a ton on this one, to be honest.
1: It's a little, but it's a little too soon for a for a mon, for a uh, a montage episode of past episodes. So it's can't, true, <laughs> can't do that yet. But
0: um, yeah, I think this is good. I'm I'm looking forward to hopefully the next episode is when we get the introduction of Daredevil. We we had the allusion to his mask and helmet, and I think uh, I haven't looked it up, but I've heard rumor that he's in three. He's on three episodes of the show, so it seems like it's it's got to happen next week. Cool. um so it'd be fun to have him reintroduced into this world uh as daredevil and not just as uh matt murdoch so but like we've this is what the sixth episode how many episodes in this season i think it's 10 like we're we're
1: getting we're getting to the end here
0: yeah and, and we don't uh, really have an understanding of who the who the big bad is but i don't uh, think
1: they're i mean oh i know yeah there's a couple. Yeah. I, they're they're alluding to someone wanting to get Jen Walters' blood. I'm assuming right. it's um, I'm assuming it's what's his face from uh, from uh, The Incredible Hulk at the very end of The Incredible Hulk. Uh, uh the leader. Oh yeah, leader. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, um that's Tim Blake Nelson, and they confirmed yeah. he's coming back into the Marvel universe, which is exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think if it's the leader, that's fine. I think the other story we could have been heading towards is Red Hulk where um, Mm. somebody, so we don't have, you know, spoiler for the comic book, it was Thaddeus Ross was Red Hulk. Mm. Um, So, and that was a big, long, drawn out story uh, uh, with a mystery in it. Uh, And we don't have, so William Hurt passed away, so that Mm. actor is no longer with us. Uh, So I wonder if they're going to do a Red Hulk and would it be viable to land the Red Hulk as part of the Thunderbolts uh, in the long run? Because... There's a lot going on, uh, and I yeah. think they're trying to figure out. I think what what the next steps are, and at some point, Mark Ruffalo is going to step down and not be the Hulk anymore. So they're probably going to want to move forward with the story, uh, and I could see She-Hulk falling into the Avengers. And I think there could yeah. be an easy Red Hulk story.
1: Well, apparently, she's already slated to be in um, the next uh, Captain America movie. So oh, nice. Yeah.
0: So Sweet. Uh, ready to jump over? Let's go to Rings of Power. Have you uh, did you watch this week's episode?
1: I did, man. I'm at the I'm at the point in the show now where it's all just kind of a big old blur now, and like I'm like I'm overloaded and I'm oversaturated, and yeah. there's there's um there's a lot of information being thrown at me, and there's n- not enough forward progression. Um, I'm still enjoying like the visuals, the acting, the music, the production value, everything like that. But I'm just, um, I'm just getting, I'm just drowning in, in Tolkien lore and it's not necessarily a bad thing, but I'm enjoying it, but yeah. I'm just, I just don't know what the story is. You know?
0: Um, it's interesting. i I'm, I'm, uh, you all can't see me. I'm just nodding. Uh, I feel very <laughs> similar to, who, to the through John is talking about this. Um, I, I feel like we're taking a, uh, master's level course in, the appendices of tolkien's writing is what mm-hmm. it feels like to me yeah. um, and, and and that's great i think it's super fun but unless you want to become a tolkien scholar and you have that f- like familiarity with the characters and the lore of the rest of the universe and why these things are becoming important and and i don't have that facility it's not at my fingertips to be mm-hmm. able to pull on future lore as some others are, like, yeah. um, you know, the, there's a the House of R podcast is Mallory and Joanna Robinson, and Joanna is slowly becoming, in my opinion, like a Tolkien expert.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, she's steeped heavily in these in the material, but she's like now reading books that have done like critical breakdowns and explanations of things. Like, we're we're getting to scholarly level knowledge is where she's heading, and there are scholars and people who have PhDs oh, in sure. Tolkien. Yeah. Fluent um, so it just feels, yeah, it feels to me very similar to what you're saying, which is I, I, I'm, I, I watched the episode and I, i tried to remember back any of the details from this episode and I'm like, it's, it's just, it's, it's not there. I can't pull it. Uh, yeah. I, I can't, you know? Um,
1: yeah, I was like off the top of my head and, and I didn't take any notes to, to, to bring to the table today about the show, but, um, it was like, there is some interesting stuff with the stranger that that fell from the the heavens. Yep. And then there were boats at the end. <laughs> That's kind of all well, I remember. And we got a
0: chance to spend a little more time with the Harfoots, which was my complaint mm-hmm. last week, which yes. is like, I felt like we needed more of progression in that storyline. Yeah. Because it felt easier to connect with. And I still mm-hmm. think that is drawing me in. And I think the, yes. the story around Gladriel is still pulling me a little bit but there's so many storylines and so yeah. many characters and so many motivations you have to parcel and figure out, um, mm-hmm. uh, that I'm, 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 sort of drowning is what it yeah. feels
2: like. Yeah. Um, um
0: let's, let's jump over to density. Yeah. Go
1: ahead. Yeah. Yeah. No, well I was going to say let's skip the next one that's on our notes and like, sure. Let's talk about a couple of the ones that maybe you've been focusing on and then let, maybe, maybe we should finish up with the,
0: Sure. Uh, so let's say, uh, I'll jump to Handmaid's Tale. Uh, last week I talked about the fact that like my wife and I were really excited. Season five has dropped, Mm -hmm. at least it's slowly dropping. And I felt like it needed to prove to us sort of as watchers, why, why it needed to exist in a season five. Mm
2: -hmm. Um,
0: this episode was probably one of the best episodes of Handmaid's Tale ever made. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, it is, uh, and also Elizabeth Moss is is directing more and more and she directed this episode. Okay, cool. It it has this unbelievably crisp and poignant moment at the end that w- we didn't see coming and mm. and we are really steeped in the handmaid's tale world. Um, and it was just unbelievably well done. Uh, I don't want to spoil anything because I feel like it, this is a show that you may want to power through where you were just if the season continues to be this good. right? Uh, but there's an amazing reveal that happens. Uh, and, and I think the, the way the imagery in this show, it, it, it harkens back to some of the imagery that you saw in the first season, when you first saw someone on the wall, right? Like there's, mm-hmm. there's all this amazing use of, of music. And that, that's why I still think the first season is so good is that music helps move the story along and the emotional along, And I feel like there's a, there's an, a familiarity with what she's trying to accomplish as, as the actress, Elizabeth Moss, as the director, she mm-hmm. feels so confident behind the camera right now, in my opinion. Um, And this episode is, I would be very surprised if it's not nominated for Emmy Emmys next year, that this specific episode isn't. Um, I think it's beautifully shot. I think the color, the use of color, uh, the use of like symmetry uh, is, is very reminiscent of those early seasons of game of, of, of uh, handmaid's tale where we saw the like handmaids walking for the first time and all red in sort Mm -hmm. of formation. Yes. There's a lot of that. There's a big funeral that happens and that is really well done. You've got like the, the you've got the reds and you've got the greens and you've got purples and you've got like, it's just unreal how well they use color to define who, what your role is in Gilead and, and how important it is. Uh, it, it gives you a shorthand. It's, it's almost the antithesis of what we're talking about in rings of power. Like, they're, they're giving you a shorthand to know what's going on. Whereas rings of power is giving you a lot of verbiage and a lot of backstory. And, and you're getting these cute quick clicks of color and sound and music that are triggering what you should be feeling or remembering. Mm. And I think that's amazing. I think I'm just very impressed with what Elizabeth Moss has been able to do in the last couple of episodes she's directed. And I think this one was, was fantastic it's it's almost as good as season one episodes and i think season one is one of the better seasons of television i've ever watched so that's awesome um, it's it's really impressive
1: i don't know if i'm gonna get back into it but it's very you're you're enticing me you're enticing me
0: um it's brutal like yeah. and, and, and you gotta go know when it, you gotta go in with that your eyes open and know like season four was pretty brutal yeah. um and it has a moment of elation that's pretty unbelievable, but um season five so far has it started off and it was a little felt a little wobbly uh just sort of resetting the world and why we're there Mm -hmm. um but this episode was just so assured of itself and and really understood um and and you know if if they were if they were carving some new cow paths in the first episode they paved the road in this one like it is powerful how solid this episode felt cool that's awesome Um, So I can jump over to uh, what we do in the shadows. Uh, Again, silly, silly, fun. Uh, Unbelievably, the werewolf battle that happens in episode three is so silly and ridiculous. Yeah. And then uh, uh, we can mention him now. Nick Kroll uh, being in episode four is Mm -hmm. unreal. He's he's great as this cocky old vampire who makes fun of all of them for who they are because they haven't evolved at all. Like they're just sort of stuck in time. Uh, and then, uh, episode five is when, uh, Laszlo gets captured as a bat. Uh, oh, right. and, gets, yeah. and ends up in, like, uh, you know, a, a, a as a bat, he gets captured and they, they call, uh, the, like, animal vet services. services. Yeah, yeah. Animal services and capture him. Uh, they're all just so fun. And, yeah. uh, it, you know, the, the show just consistently, uh, rips through characters uh and you don't have to question what's gonna happen ever mm-hmm. you know like when when laszlo gets captured Nadja is not there because she's off trying to woo the person who has been her lover over the years in many forms mm-hmm. and that storyline was so ridiculous and silly but when nadia finally gets there and she gets to the door and the energy vampire has been sucking the life out of the guy at She, he, she walks up and she, and he's just like, "Ma'am, come, come in, come in. Like he just wants somebody else in the room. And then she just goes like, what is the code to the door? And he's like, one, two, three, four, five. And he's like, really, really? And she just like, and she gets in the room and she's just like, you came in here as a, as a dog. Like she makes fun of like Lazlo's been making fun of, of uh, Nandor for, for trying to break him out as a dog. Like Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's just the most ridiculous, like over the top caricature esque comedy but yeah. it, I can't stop laughing. And Matt Berry trying to orchestrate a breakaway for all of the other animals in there because they had his back is he just gets in the hallway and he's like, I can't leave my, my brethren. Yeah. Like, it's just <laughs> silly. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, I love it. I'm, I'm so excited to have finally fallen in love with it. And uh, yeah, I think uh, I can jump over to our flag means death. Uh, I yeah, finally got to the up. episode that describes uh, him. Uh, Reese Darby as the pirate gen- uh, the uh, the gentleman pirate. Uh, yes. so uh very funny to uh have that be his mantle Mm
2: -hmm. um
0: i love the fact that they're just like uh yeah it's like an older woman uh on the on the deck of the ship and it's he's just dressed as a fop like he's wearing this like crazy over the top um yeah the story is just fun uh silly and i'm really excited we just were really introduced to blackbeard okay i was Uh, gonna
1: ask if you're if if taika has appeared yet
0: he has just landed uh so yeah, uh, fun. I I'm really looking forward to more of it. I can't wait to see where it goes. Um, I think uh, this week I didn't get to any reservation dogs. Uh, it's been uh, mostly on comedies and and trying to catch up with Andor and another thing. So um, oh, why son. don't you talk about reboot? Uh, I, I'm I'm intrigued and I, it's something that we added to our queue that we're gonna totally start oh, watching. Awesome. I think.
1: Yeah. So reboot just came out. It's a show that's on Hulu. It's um. It stars uh is uh stars Rachel Bloom um from My Crazy Ex-Girlfriend fame and she is a um she is a sh- she becomes a showrunner for a show that she pitched uh which is a reboot of an old uh, television show that uh occurred in the early 2000s and it was so weird for me to hear them, like early 2000s and, and they're already rebooting things god I'm old um, <laughs> But they want to bring the entire uh, original cast back, which is um, which is Keegan Michael Key, Johnny Knoxville, uh, Judy Greer, and then um, uh, there was a young boy in the show, and now he's all grown up, and that's played by uh Callum uh, Worthy, um, and the original show was um, Judy Greer was uh, uh, Judy Greer and Johnny Knoxville are um, parents to this guy, Callum Worthy, but they're divorced, but they still live together, I think. And Keegan-Michael Key is the new husband. Um, so it was kind of, it's kind of really interesting where they want to like, you know, that that show has been over. They want to bring them back. So now it's, 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 uh, I think it's from the same creators as, um, Modern Family, I believe. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's very much in that style of kind of like, Um, very funny kind of slice of life, but it's like a hyper reality, but it's like also putting together a TV show and there's a lot of great dynamics, um, on the show. Uh, Paul Reiser was the, was the creator of the original show. And all of a sudden he comes back to work on this show, um, which, which, uh, Keegan-Michael Key wanted to come back like his character wanted to come back to this show because it was going to be a little more edgier and and <laughs> um and and now with paul riser back it's just going to be kind of like a, a sitcom and stuff um i think like three episodes are out it's really funny i mean the dynamics of all the characters are really interesting and and uh, I was really surprised by Johnny Knoxville in it. He's, he's, I actually, I, am not, I'm not anti Johnny Knoxville. I actually love the Jackass movies and stuff like that, but yep. uh, he, he does, he does really well in this and I'm always a big fan of Judy Greer. Um, so yeah, it's a really great new kind of um, it doesn't replace modern family. Um, but it, if you're, if you're wanting something to kind of fill the void that that show has left uh, if you're not going to watch reruns of it, then I would definitely check this out with a little bit of a twist. And um, and everyone's so great on the show. So yeah. yeah, I really enjoy it. And the thing is, it's on Hulu. They talk about how Hulu is producing the show. So the show that they're making is on Hulu. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was really cool. I think in the third episode, it's the first time that like, I feel like in media, they've talked about disney owning hulu like you know and like um because um in the third episode um so keegan michael key and judy greer are um they're rehearsing a you know a, a scene where they're both in the bedroom and keegan michael keel gets a little aroused and everyone and then they have to the, at the halt rehearsal until he's calmed down um and that like causes an hr ruckus and then they, they bring in this like memo that they're like, this is the Disney company and you can't get hard on at Disney and stuff like that. So it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really funny. And um yeah, the relationships that kind of uh, all of a sudden you didn't think we're going to be there are there. And it's, yeah, I really enjoy it. So hopefully I've sold it to you very yeah, well. But I think yeah, so. Definitely check um, it
0: out. I'm, I'm really interested. I, I, I was really intrigued by the casting. I, I love Judy Greer. So uh, and and Keegan Michael Key, like they're both such great comedic, like different ends of the spectrum, but also yeah. weird comedy people. And and bringing Paul Riser is is like almost dropping like a comedy nuclear bomb. Like he he can he can absolutely be anything, uh, yeah. as we've seen in this last year. Right, he was in Stranger Things, he was in The Boys. Right, like yeah. he he's unreal in the the amount of he's uh, amazing in movie, Aliens yeah. back in the yeah. day. I mean, yeah, he was the corporate stooge. I mean, let's yeah. be real. Um, yeah, I was just really excited by uh, by what the cast looked like, and and uh, I was. It's definitely. I, I almost wish I had watched reboot instead of this week's Rings of Power, so I can I, <laughs> only because I now need to rewatch Ring of Power, Rings of Power, yeah, in order to. Fo- so like, I I want to spend more time in that space, and I'm probably gonna keep going with Rings of Power. So this mm-hmm. is one that like I have to also find time for my wife and I to watch this because
1: yeah, I think, think you will she- both definitely enjoy it.
0: She's dropping off a rings of power. I think this week, I think that might be the end of it for her. So right on. Um, yeah, I think that's great. I'm excited to watch it. Thank you, uh, for giving me the nudge. Uh, it it hopefully won't be John's fault. Um, (laughs) let's, uh, let's close out the TV section. Uh, let's get to the, uh, 800 pound gorilla. It's, it's Andor it's finally arrived. Uh, hell yeah, it did. Uh, I'm really excited, uh, by this show, but I'd love to hear, uh, your initial take on it.
1: Listen, as someone who, could get, initially could give a crap about this show when it was announced. I was like, I don't care about Andor. I was like, he was my least favorite character from Rogue One, blah, blah, blah. And then I see the trailer finally, and I'm like,
2: ah, oh,
1: maybe get into this. And then, oh my God, these first three episodes. Dude, this is like the best Star Wars show that has been on Disney Plus since Disney Plus has been Disney Plus. Yeah. Like, I was blown away of on so many levels. Yep. Um, the, the interpersonal relationships that you get in this show in the first three episodes is like nothing I've ever seen yep. in a star Wars show. Um, the cinematography and the, and just the scope and, and, man you know it's so interesting like so every show up until this point that's been on disney plus that has the word star wars attached to it i'm pretty sure has been filmed in the volume which is this this huge led moving background kind of screen right i'm not all. so oh my god like you get used to i mean you get used to it because like they're filming a certain way to accommodate for that. And that's accommodating for the way they're filming. And then all of a sudden you get something that is done completely different. And like, they went on location and they found locations all over the world to film this. And there's yep. like, and, and man, it pays off. Like I, you know, I think that, you know, the volume is a super cool, like state of the art
0: future of, of television and filmmaking.
2: Yep.
1: But man, oh man, like being on location, you can't beat that, you know?
0: Yeah, I, I so I listened to a really great interview with Tony Gilroy, who created this and uh, is the showrunner. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, he also came in and sort of punched up Rogue One and uh, may have like backseat directed some of that uh, mm-hmm. movie. Um, so he is the person who's gone, he's written a ton, of, an absolute ton of things, but um, he's no- most well known for Michael Clayton that he directed Michael Clayton duplicity and born legacy. Okay. So you can a hundred percent see the Michael Clayton like connection here that <clears throat> like very gritty, very, uh, terse, uh, grounded in reality, right? Like yeah. things you wouldn't normally say about a star Wars, uh, anything in my opinion, um, and I think what I love about this is that he, he's not a person who I feel like is, is a huge lover from listening to him talk about it of star Wars. He loves yeah. storytelling well, yeah, and, yeah. And, and that really comes through to me. Um, what's really cool about this is he, this was shot, right. Kind of the height of the pandemic in 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, and he couldn't, so they shot most of it on location in the UK um, and Tony doesn't live in the UK. He was going to direct the pilot and the first three episodes and ended up not being able to, to direct it yes. because he couldn't get there. Sure. Um, so, uh, he ended up actually, it was directed by, um, so the cinematography is A- Andrino Goldman, uh, for this. And the director was Benjamin, uh, was Toby Hayes. Um, and what it sounds like is, uh, they worked remotely i think that tony gilroy was like on camera on like a zoom mm-hmm. with toby but toby was driving and and they had this amazing working experience sure um you know the the show opens with andor walking through i, I don't care what planet it is but he's basically walking through the red light district
2: yeah.
0: on a planet and that yeah. is not something we've seen before it's not something we've acknowledged before I think the, the ability to tell story without holding your hand, uh, I think he is expecting you to pay attention <clears throat> is unbelievable.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I saw somewhere online that, um, it, it, I'm assuming it was the the director, but it might have been the showrunner or someone, you know, it could have been Diego Luna for all I know. Um, but they were like, we're really trying to make sure all the actors forget they're doing something. They're doing a star Wars show. Yep. Like this show, and and I agree. Like this show, literally could take place anywhere. Yeah, and I think it's very cool that it takes place in the the Star Wars universe. And I think of all, I think of all the the shows that we've seen so far, um, this is the first one I think really, really, really that really expands the universe. Whereas like everyone is like so. Scared to move away from like the Skywalker legacy and and, yep. and and this and that, but there's no stormtroopers in this. Yep. There's no there's no lightsabers. There's no Jedi. Um, you know, um, it, it it's you know so it's Cassian Andor who uh is played by Diego Luna who is in Rogue One. Yep. This takes place five years before the events of Rogue One slash A New Hope and um diego luna is looking for his sister yep. um a lot, of, a lot of messed up stuff has happened to him uh that we find out through flashbacks uh he is not of the of the world or the, of the planet that he lives on um and something really bad happened on the planet that he it, of his origin yep um but it's uh, but but the like the villains that we like i don't like do you remember the the villains or the 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 authority
0: figures in this?
1: Yeah, obviously they work for the empire, but like they're like an offshoot of the empire. Because so like
0: I, I think this is uh, there's an interesting aspect of this, which is the corporate side of the house versus uh, the uh, uh, versus the actual like empire itself. Right. So yeah. there's there's and I think it takes place a lot in there's a couple of books that it took place in. A couple of comic books really focused on this, and Solo mentions the sort of corporate side of the Empire.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so they sort of outsource certain things. They let like they it, they're not basically policing everything is is what right. it comes down to. They they let the corporate as long as you live within the imperial means and mm-hmm. and pay taxes and do your things. They, they have companies that actually run aspects of this. Yeah. So it's like outsourcing of like management of planets, of security, of, of things. Um, and yeah, I think they they are part of uh, sort of the corporate conglomerate that's responsible for the trade sector right. is the way I think it comes across. Uh, for this trade sector, for pre-Mora, right? Uh, right. Which is Pre-O- Pre-O- Preox Morlana is the name of the authority that they're a part of. Gotcha. Um so uh the the main villain that we've met I think we met him immediately is uh, S- uh Cyril Carn played by Kyle Solar. Um he's sort of an extremely uptight uh deputy inspector in this uh security company that is uh, under the corporate umbrella of the a- empire.
1: Yeah, he's kind of like a he's kind of like an acolyte or he's just like a he's like a very He's like a, he's almost like a, a like a uber yes man of, yep. of the corporation. Whereas uh, his, his superior is kind of like just wants to keep the status quo yep. and just like wants to, you know, like sit back on his laurels. Where um, Cyril Karn is like, he's like the new eager up and coming. Like, I want to, I want to make sure that we're taken care of. Like, uh, because what, because in the first episode, it's a little spoilery, but. Um, you know, uh, Diego Luna is looking for his sister. He runs into two officers. Uh, and unfortunately, both of them end up dead. So thusly, um, so thusly uh, uh, Cyril Karn is going after uh, Diego Luna's character, um, Cassian Andor, to, yeah. to bring him into justice.
0: Um, I think that scene is really awesome because, uh, and and we're not going to spoil everything in Andor, but I think this is the first 10 minutes of the show and I think it's mm-hmm. actually really important if you've seen Rogue One. Uh, in Rogue One, Cassian Andor is getting information from someone who has a broken arm and they get found out and Cassian doesn't bat an eyelash and he shoots the person, dead.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: in this scene, he is being harassed by these security guards and he uh, def- <laughs> after being heavily harassed and poked and shoved with a gun he uh he hits one of them with the back of his head and i believe either jams his nose bone up into his brain or causes his neck to break when he hits the wall yeah and that guard dies and now Cassian is in control of the other guard and the other guard realizes he tells him to get him up and he says like he's he's not breathing he's he's not here he i don't know that he ever says dead which is interesting um but Cassian uh, takes a beat and then realizes he has no way out of this that's going to save him so he shoots the second security guard like point blank in the head Um, and later in the second episode he has an opportunity to kill someone and he doesn't he hog ties them I think he's I don't know that he is a natural killer Mm
2: -hmm. but
0: when we meet him in Rogue One he has adopted that posture right yeah he defaults to the fastest path to getting something accomplished. Whereas I think we see in the first two episodes, he is not just a killer. That's not how he approaches the world. Yeah, um, He's a complicated man full of greys, right? Uh, speaking, we're not going to talk about house of the dragon this week. Cause we're recording on Sunday night. So, you know, he's as, you know, he's in that complicated gray space that someone like a Damon Targaryen, like that, that world, he's not cut and dry. He's not good or bad. He's hundred percent in this weird, in-between space where he's not happy with his life. He's not happy with the empire, but I don't think he's out there saying, I'm going to just put a bullet in every, every member of the empire, you know? Yeah.
1: I'm excited for this season. Um, You know, like uh, this season they say is going to focus on the, it's going to take this, it's going to go the span of a year of his life. So it's going to focus on that, that fifth year away from Rogue One, and then they've already been greenlit for uh, season two, and that's going to jump in time. So season two will be uh, four; it'll be it'll start four years away from from episode one slash Rogue One, and then it'll jump to you know three to one years away, and so the lead up will be exciting and kind of. Where we where we've started here in in Andor season one, it's like I feel like we're so far away from yeah the the events of Rogue One. That I think it's really cool, and hopefully, we see a lot of growth. And um, you know, and and the good thing about this show is that it's going to focus on Andor because it's named after him. So it's not going to be like Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power. We're going to have to focus on a bajillion people. Yeah, no, I- no hate on Rings of Power, but. Just bring I, I think the,
0: the other thing that's really nice is we're introduced. The the, the thing I would say about this is the show is hundred percent expecting you to pay attention. Uh, and it, but it is telling you by showing you in most ways, yeah. uh, the woman who runs the brothel that he goes into to find his sister. Um, yeah, it, there's so many Blade Runner vibes in that world when he's walking yeah. down that alley and he meets her yeah. for the first, I'm like, God, like Blade Runner is absolutely an influence on the look and feel oh, of this, this- show.
1: That was, I mean, I thought about that this, the entire time I was watching this, yeah. uh, the three episodes, it was like, this could just be rural Blade Runner.
0: Yeah. What I mean. Well, it's like, it's neon polish with grime is what mm-hmm. it feels like. So yeah. everything has that like neon shiny, but it's grimy and, and grounded, yeah. which is what I think I, I had never really thought about it, but that's really Blade Runner, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, the other one here is that, uh. You get to meet an awful lot. Oh, so where I was going with that is uh, she gets brought in to talk to the security guards uh, to confirm that Cassie and Andor is the person they're looking for. Mm -hmm. And we don't see that conversation happen. His face is up on a hologram. She's walking in the room and she runs into the room where Cyril Cam is and they turn to her and we cut away. We don't waste 30 seconds with her confirming that Cassian Andor is the person that was looking for his sister. Mm. I I like that a lot. The same thing ended up happening when, um, Bix goes to, uh, her boyfriend's, uh, house. Um, and she, she kisses him and, and leans, leads him towards the bedroom without saying a word. Mm -hmm. I I think there's an amazing amount of like showing and not telling, uh, If you live in a world where people communicate, there's this is a world populated with humans or real beings is what it feels like. She's running through the streets at one point and and sees someone she knows and she smiles and waves and keeps going. These characters feel real. That's the thing that I I kept walking away from in this show. You know, I want to go back and rewatch it because I feel like the first three episodes is basically a Tony Gilroy film. Uh, is what it feels like and and Mm -hmm. i want to watch it when i have enough time to sit down and watch an hour and 40 minutes in one chunk
2: Mm -hmm.
0: which i think was really smart of them to release yeah because the first two episodes don't really give you an idea of where the show is going the third episode is really important for sending you into what the show is going to be i think yeah Um, it's a really great uh introduction in that episode but like that episode has a, a ratcheting of tension that uses sound um, there's a, there's a, a, a man who sets the time, uh, with, w- w- if you turn on the subtitles, apparently it is a, uh, it, it is, uh, uh, what's the beskar It's a beskar bell that he rings.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: <clears throat> um, and, uh, but he does it at the beginning of the workday and at the end of the workday. So sound is really important and, and it sets the universe uniquely, uh, on this planet that they're using sound. Yeah. But when they're trying to alert one another that something is going wrong, they all bang on metal. So there's this like fever pitch of the of the sound moving through the city that they're letting one another know to watch out. Something's happening. Um, And I thought that that was really great.
1: Yeah. I mean, the other cool thing about that whole idea is like that is pretty low tech. Whereas Like we're in Star Wars where you think, you know, you think although it took place a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, it's like, it's a space odyssey. And to use, I don't know, something very like human, like just like clanging on a drum or clanging on making sounds, uh, almost like smoke signals or, or Morse code. Yep. Um, that's pretty low tech. And I think that's a really cool thing that happens in the show. There's also a really, there's a moment that happens in the show where Andor. um, and uh, Stellan Skarsgård meet, and then you know they get interrupted, and there's like this action sequence that happens, uh, and it takes place in one room. And like it, 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 I think on paper it would be pretty boring, but man, oh man, I was like, it's very exciting, and it all. Yeah, takes place the in one room.
0: Tension ratchets up really fast.
1: Yeah, and there's like not a lot of like, I don't know. It's like you just got to see it, I guess. Yeah, um, I, I think right? this is
0: a show that um, is visually compelling and unique in the Star Wars universe and mm. I think it's it, it it really is a nice um sort of balancing act to what Mandalorian has been Mandalorian feels like a fable or or like a uh like like a story uh, that's still set sort of in the Star Wars of the of the Skywalkers and this well, feels yeah, like I a mean, really grounded gritty other side of the table Sure I mean as much I I love the
1: Mandalorian I think yep. I think currently i think if you were supposed to ask me my favorite character in star wars i'd probably say the mandalorian all of a sudden cuz that's all i can think about but i mean call a spade a spade it's fa- it's fan service yeah you know it, it's it's and you know john Favreau has gone on on in, in interviews saying like i'm i'm looking at all my old toys and figuring out which ones were never in Or did not get spotlight on in like the movies and stuff and that's what i'm putting in here you know i want i want this thing from the video game and this thing from that and this thing from that you know so um yeah i whereas i think that this is like i don't know how they got away with with disney not intervening so much but i feel like they really are 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 writing their own story Mm -hmm. without some someone behind them whispering like hey you gotta you know, you got to put a, you got to put a, a Mandalorian in here. There's got to be at least a Mandalorian in the background or, yeah. or you know, like you got to reference Job of the Hutt or something, you know, anything. Um, yeah. Not any It'll be
0: interesting to see when Star Wars starts to make it, it, it to really like expose us to the Star Wars world that we know. Um, yeah. and,
1: and we will get that. I'm like, um, I'm sure. Mon Mothma is, is yeah. uh, you know, she's in the first, uh, that character is in, um, is in, I think, yeah, she's in episode, or she's in Rogue One, isn't she? Yeah. Yes. But she's definitely in episode one, uh, and she's a character in this, so we will, they will definitely eventually get more Star Warsian yeah but right now, I mean, what a great way to kick it off.
0: Um, so you said your favorite character is currently, uh, is who now?
1: Dinjarin, the Mandalorian, right. probably.
0: Uh, so for me, I have to say, uh, it, it has changed after all these years. Forever, it was probably Chewbacca. Um, and now it is uh, Chirrut Imwi, uh, Donnie Yen's character. Uh oh, yeah. the, Nice. I, I love that character, and I love him and Baze Malibus, uh, mm-hmm. his his sort of partner in crime. Yeah. I love the idea that there are people who are Force-sensitive, but are not Jedi, and mm-hmm. that they believe so heavily in, in the Jedi and in the world that they dedicate their life to supporting that space. Uh, you know, I just, I, I thought that was such a great character and, and one of the big standouts. I think rogue one is probably my favorite star Wars movie that's come out in the last decade. Um, and and I, I, so I, I've gone back to it a few times. I've watched Mm -hmm. it, you know, um, I didn't rewatch it before this. And it was funny. One of my friends asked on Twitter, uh, Johnny, uh, if he needed to watch Rogue One before he started watching uh, Andor. And I was like, no, and we're going to discuss it on this episode. So, uh, hey, Johnny, welcome aboard. Um, so We're we not should...
1: going to spoil Rogue One, although everyone kind of knows the end of
0: it. Totally. Uh, so we can jump over to uh, some stuff that we watched. Where would you like to start?
1: Uh, I'm going to... Uh, I kind of put a list together here. I'm just going to go down the list and not talk too much about um, the first one. But I finally... Um, had some time and, um, feeling a little lazy. So my wife and I were just on the couch and it was, uh, afternoon. So we popped on Pinocchio, the new pseudo live action, mostly live action, uh, Disney plus version starring Tom Hanks, directed by Robert Zemeckis. They've worked a lot together and Robert Zemeckis loves motion capture and performance capture. Um, this is a f- effing weird movie, man. And I don't, and um, I don't know if, um, I can't say that I've seen the original animated Pinocchio, uh, straight through. Um, so I can't tell if like, just like Disney's Pinocchio in general is just a little weird or it's just, this is weird. Um, but, um, uh Tom Hanks is you know he's he plays Geppetto he wants he wants so badly for Pinocchio to become a to have a real boy and he builds this puppet that looks exactly like the animated one which is like I guess I guess they did that with like Lion King and everything it's like well you look like a real lion now (laughs) an animated lion so um so yeah and it's just it's the story of Pinocchio um You can, it's very much a parable in the sense of like, Pinocchio wants to be a little boy, but to be a little boy, you got to be good and you got to be honest and you got to be brave and you got to be selfless. And then you get, and then he gets, you know, he gets kind of lured into like, no, I'm not going to go to school. I want to be famous and I'm going to go and be in showbiz. And then all of a sudden he's like in the, you know, the paradise Island and, and stuff. And it's, it's a really weird movie, man. And (laughs) Um, I think both my wife and I, as we're watching it, we're like, this is a really weird movie. And this, um, my wife was saying to me that um, the original Pinocchio is a movie that um, left an impact on her because it just kind of grinded home that like real world is scary (laughs) and you should never grow up. Um, (laughs) But one of the really weird things about this is, I I don't know if you knew this, uh, Robbie, but uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is Jiminy Cricket.
0: Yeah, I, I've heard uh, that he makes some choices.
2: Y-
1: yeah, uh, and <laughs> I don't know if they're problematic or not, but they are really weird. You know, obviously, I don't know if he did performance capture or anything, or he just did voiceover. But, um, but it's 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 weird. It's it's definitely weird. Tom Hanks. Uh, has quote unquote, and I say in big air quotes, uh, since you can't see me because this is a podcast. <laughs> he's got some songs in this, and I was like, oh my gosh! Like, I think that it he sounds better than when like Russell Crowe sang in Les Mis. But I was like, yikes! And then, um, and then the 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 kid who they got to voice Pinocchio, you definitely know that he's just like in a sound booth, like giving you know, giving different takes on, on dialogue and stuff. It just seems so contained. Mm -hmm. Uh, again, like just to bring up Keegan, Michael key again, but like he plays, uh, or he voices honest, John, who is the Fox, who is in humans clothes and kind of lures Pinocchio away from going to school. He was like, I think my favorite part of this, it's Mm -hmm. such a strange movie. Lorraine Bracco is a, is a seagull for a hot second. She's (laughs) always, I'm not a big fan of hers, but, um, (laughs) It's like
0: I don't. I don't I've heard know. multiple podcasts uh, talk about it up to this point, and and the way you're describing it, and the and the, the sort of wearisome angst that you're describing this with is the way they all sort of hit the same place.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, the big picture: Sean Fennessy and Amanda uh, literally spent like about 25 minutes trying to figure out like who is this movie for? Why? Why did we have to make this movie? which have any of the live action remakes been good? Have any of them actually moved the story forward? Have they the jungle
1: book has been good. That's yeah, that was, that's the best one to okay. this, to this day. The jungle book is awesome. It was also the first and it wasn't, it was trying to do something very different. It was John Favreau again. Yep. Um, But besides that, like, yeah, like I haven't been really impressed with these. Uh, I'm looking forward to the little mermaid to see what happens there. Uh, something else that's like very just like creepy corporate Disney um, and not like a charming way that happens in this, um, which is like super different from what we were saying with Andor is. So Geppetto is a clockmaker and he has all these cuckoo clocks uh, in his, in his, um, in his home and they're always going off. And every time they go off, they zoom into them and it's either Roger Rabbit or, or, um, you know, which is, you know, Robert Zemeckis directed, but it, sure. then if it's not Roger Rabbit, it's Steamboat Willie or, or Snow White. It's like just these like other Disney properties just shoehorned into the movie by being, you know, like Easter eggs in uh, as cuckoo clocks. And I was just like, uh, it's, I think if like I was maybe like five years old I might like this movie or like, I might put this on. <laughs> if I'm just like, wow. Like I just, just go away and just like be confused. Like I, I need, I need you guys over there to be confused about a movie or like <laughs> even just visually maybe mesmerized by a movie, but not want to like look into it too much and I'd put it on. But I mean, I can also just like probably like put on a screener of like an aquarium and get the same effect. Mm-hmm. So,
0: Yeah, I'm so this movie is not on my radar. I I will probably watch it only because I'm really excited about Guillermo del Toro's stop motion animation version of Pinocchio that's coming. Yeah,
1: don't watch this. Just watch that. Probably.
0: Um, I've seen some like early uh, uh, you know video of what that's looking like, and it looks visually stunning and. You know Guillermo del Toro, like and stop motion animation is is fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, Let's jump over to our second film in this lot. Uh, Where do we want to go? So
1: something that is uh, I did not see in theaters, but uh, is also now available exclusively on HBO Max is uh, Baz Luhrmann's film that just came out, Elvis. you were able to see it in theaters, right?
0: I did. I saw it in the theater. Um it was a spectacle to see it in a theater. Um I, I I think my description of it would be uh if you like Baz Luhrmann's films, you know what you're getting into. If you've if you've watched previous films of his and really love them, The Moulin Rouge, uh Romeo Romeo and Juliet, I think it's more in line with uh with Great Gatsby to be honest than than either or the other two. Um when it comes down to cuz it's trying to tell a story more than I think even Moulin Rouge or Romeo and Juliet is trying to. Um, But it's, it's known IP, you know, a lot of what's going on here. I I think the, the thing that makes this movie electric is, is Austin Butler. I think his, his take on Elvis is, uh, is probably Oscar nomination worthy. uh, If not winning an award, he is the reason that the film has any buzz and moves forward at all. In my opinion.
1: I think, uh, I hear what you're saying and I totally agree. And it got to the point where if you, if you, if you see interviews with Austin Butler who played Elvis before this movie, he talks a very certain way. Every single interview after this movie, he talks like Elvis. He apparently says that he cannot, he cannot escape it. It's just, it's literally just how he talks now. Uh, I take for that what you want. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm just like, okay, you, you do you. Um, This is one of the horniest movies I've ever seen. (laughs) That's like, like, like Boz Lorman is a horny director. Yep. And I don't mean that like, he's like gross and stuff, but like the movie's horny.
0: He, he's, he's showing sort of the, the effect that Elvis has, on the people around him, yeah, and but uh, specifically, but, I, I think the 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 feminine gaze on Elvis is what he is like trying desperately to show Elvis's sex appeal and things like that. Totally. Um, but, uh,
1: and, I, but and but I it, think and and I think he accomplishes it mm-hmm. amazingly. Yeah. But but just even just not just the feminine gaze upon Elvis, but in general, I think just the way it's shot. Yeah. Even the even the I feel even the way that like they frame creepy tom hanks in really creepy like prosthetics uh as the colonel is it's like there's a bit of like weird sexy sex appeal to it yep. like i think that um i think it's very befitting that boz lerman is the one that is heading up a a, a biopic of about elvis um you know knowing little bit about uh the impact that elvis has had on culture and american culture and and um you know i'm being a fan of like some of his early movies i've i've been to graceland like i i you know i could say that like i i have been a fan of elvis and i think that this is a very fitting kind of um addition to telling the legend that is elvis i think
0: yeah Um, I think you're you're right on the sort of the the lens of it being sexually charged like the the scenes that take place in the revival tent and in the bar right at the beginning with young Mm -hmm. Elvis uh, are both have a a level of frenetic energy that are really impressive. But Mm -hmm. when you get to the scenes on Beale Street, when Elvis is hanging out with B.B. King and 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 with uh, a young little Richard and Big Mama Thornton, right, like those scenes are unbelievably well done. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that they're accurate. Uh, I don't want to talk about the historical accuracy of what's going on here, but the impression that those scenes leave you with where seeing Elvis and, and BB King sit and talk and share and have a cigarette. And I I, I want more of, of that. I think that was, if that is in any way accurate, I would love to see a sort of talking head movie of BB King and Elvis discussing you know rock and roll blues Mm -hmm. gospel like boy i could those conversations must have been mesmerizing um and just seeing a little glimpse of that through this movie made me want another film dedicated to that world yeah you know i
1: very early in the in the movie as in like the first five minutes you're visually assaulted by a lot of um like even just like the opening um just like the opening, like um, the Warner Brothers logo yep. is imbued with like rhinestones and moving, moving diamonds and all like from the get go. You're like, this is, this is very um, glamorous. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I couldn't help but wonder. I was like, God damn, Boz Lerman needs to do an MCU movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, and well, I don't know, I don't know which one and I don't know, but. But I like he needs to he needs to, to dabble. And and I don't know. People are bragging to like brag on me about like, no, not everybody has to do a comic book movie. I hear you, Mr. Scorsese. I'm sorry. <laughs> but like, yeah, like Boz Lerman's eye for yeah. visuals like he needs to do something.
0: The sad part is I think the thing that he would have been most perfect for is probably Jack Kirby's fourth world. Mm. um and so like you know Zack snyder's justice league film and and but like the stuff that takes place on apocalypse and all of that i think could have been a a seriously beautiful take of like kirby dots and and lightning bolts and i think that's the if 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 he was going to take on one one sort of comic book story i think that would have been made a lot of sense to me um i just want to shout out like uh the colonel tom parker of it all right like the lens of this film is not Elvis. It's actually his manager. And that is really a little bit um, difficult to swallow because you spend a lot of time with him um, and that story. And that's not the story that I think we all care about, but Mm -hmm. it is also an interesting choice to go into this movie. Um, I I don't know that Austin Butler was, uh, I I think it's a, a, having Tom Hanks as the anchor for the film with him focusing us on Austin Butler is a really unique choice because mm-hmm. uh, we get a lot of Austin Butler, but he's not meant to carry the weight of the story.
1: Yeah. It's, I mean, I think, I think being introduced to the story through Tom Hanks, AKA the Colonel, um, it's a way for the audience just to kind of take us like, not, not take a step, like a back seat, but like, it gives us a like. We're not. We are never personally one-on-one interacting with Elvis. Yep. Which I think is very helpful. Like mm-hmm. we are allowed to be those girls, you know, um, watching him upstage on stage for the first time. We're allowed to be, um, you know, watching him in Vegas. Um, whereas I think if you didn't have the <clears throat> the Tom Parker character be the narrator, I don't. I don't know if that would be possible.
0: Yeah. I think, you know, the, the other thing to take away from this is I think this movie's politics are, are questionable across the board. I, I don't know that uh, th- <laughs> this film was made with, with the Presley, uh, family behind it. So I, I mm-hmm. think they, there's a lot of things that are like either washed across, not really deeply delved into, um, right. I think connecting Elvis to social activism is a questionable turn at For me in act three, Mm -hmm. um, I don't think that is, there's a lot of things that are left off the table in this movie that are not brought up at all. Um, So I think the the, sort of championing for rights is, I don't know. I don't know if this is what really happened, but I have not, this is not the Elvis that I've been heard about my entire life, right? I'm mm -hmm. 47 and Elvis has been omnipresent in my worlds. Uh, my parents both were huge fans. You know, like we mm. listen to Elvis in my house. I, I never went to Graceland. I've never gone and done that trip, but um, it just seems like there's a lot of decisions that were made um, to shine us different spotlights on Elvis's life than I think we've heard before.
1: Yeah. Um, and I think you're going to get that whenever you get like the estate of whoever you you know, like yep. it's, it's the same thing that happened with the with Bohemian Rhapsody. You know, like the other members of Queen were very vocal about that script, so yep. they're going to protect their integrity and um, want to make sure that they're shined in, in, a, in a good light. I think the thing that, you know, because I didn't, I just knew it was about Elvis and yep. I knew that Boslerman was doing it and I knew that Tom Hanks um, was in a really strange um, prosthetic. Um, But I am happy that they obviously didn't glance over the idea that like he took everything from black culture in America. um, And that I was most happy about that. It was very much almost all about like, if it had to do with music, like they were giving credit where credit was due. And like, he was not the first person to sing hound dog. You know, he was, you know, he got everything from, from what he saw and what he listened to growing up. Um, And I really appreciated that that was in the movie and it wasn't like, Oh, you know, I just came up with this kind of thing by myself.
0: Yeah. I think the, the thing that uh, I wish they had, like, I wish they had spent a little more time with the reckoning of the artists and how they felt about it. It seemed like they were Mm. very okay with Elvis, sort of taking this music uh that was theirs or that that right. he was experiencing and taking it mainstream. Yeah. Um, and I don't know that I would say I I you know I don't believe little Richard is very happy with the way that Elvis took a lot of songs that he was yeah. playing yeah. Uh, so that using that as the example in this film felt a little strange to me. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I I, I the, the last thing I want to say about the film is uh if you like sort of Boslorman's aesthetic, this is that on steroids, it's, it's really cranked up to 11. Um, especially the, the big musical performances are really well done. Um, it feels like extremely big budget music video, um, at it's like pinnacle in, in, in lots, in, in lots of these scenes. Um, but I found myself after it's a longish movie also, it's like two, two hours, 20 minutes or something like that. Um, I was kind of exhausted uh oh. sitting in a theater I was I was oh. pummeled uh by uh images and sound not not that it was bad it by the end of it I was just like I, I, I almost wish this movie was 10 or 15 minutes shorter because I was just tired of the visual oral destruction that he was putting upon me because that's the way Baz Luhrmann makes films I wish he was a little more restrained in his timelines. So I, I
1: that's well, what's interesting is I think having the experience at home and watching it at the in the convenience of my own home, I could have gone much longer. I was like I wish they went into more in depth. I wish they talked about his concerts in Hawaii and you yeah. know like um I feel like they kind of glanced over his his time in Hollywood and and this and that. So it's interesting, like the different experiences
0: you. Yeah, get, it, and and like- I, again, I have no negative about Baz Luhrmann. I actually really sure. like the films that I mentioned. Like Moulin Rouge is 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 a ma- it's a beautiful masterpiece. I don't love the story, but I do think it is visually and orally spectacular. And I I think I fell in love with Romeo and Juliet again through his through his depiction. And it's mm-hmm. all the most like the you know the, I love the idea of of uh I've I've always liked the idea of time bending in. And taking plays from the past and time bending them a little bit, so that you know New York's theater scene and and Off Broadway especially is sort of full of you know Oedipus Rex set in World War II. Like I, I love I always love those kind of turns. Uh, so mm. I have nothing negative to say about Lerman as a director or creator. I just felt like by the end of two hours ish, I was I was I was worn. <laughs> is the way I would put it. I'll
1: tell you one thing. This is my favorite boss Lerman movie.
0: Wow. That's that is a statement actually. And I'll say this too.
1: I don't like Romeo and Juliet or Moulin Rouge.
0: Oh, you're a terrible person is what you're telling me. No, I just don't like him. (laughs) I Romeo and Juliet was the right time for me It's 1996. I was, it's Claire Danes, Leonardo DiCaprio, right? Like it's just perfect timing. Um, Okay, so let's jump over. You had one more film you wanted to discuss. Uh, let's talk a little bit about X.
1: Yeah, so uh, this is a, um, so spooky season pretty much is upon us. Uh, if you haven't gone to a Walmart or Target to let you know, um, you know, um, Halloween is is almost here. Um, I'm very excited. Although um, they're already putting Christmas stuff out in in big box stores, and I don't understand that at all. But whatever, there is also this like, you know, Um, holiday that uh, we we still do right now in November that people uh, are gonna do still so there's I don't understand anyway it's spooky season it's Halloween (laughs) I think I'm gonna start watching more uh, scary movies this one has been on my radar for a while now uh, and it's a movie called X Uh, this is from director writer Ty West who this is kind of his genre And what we have here is um, this is kind of um, it starts out very much like right out of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It takes place in Texas. You've got a group of really attractive people, young, attractive people in a van on their way to a farmhouse. This time, however, um, they happen to be a uh, group that want to make adult movies. So they're. Um, they're going to this farmhouse, and they're going to make um, this adult movie on the premises. And uh, it's the farm is owned by a really creepy old dude and a really creepy old lady. Um, and it stars um, Mia Goth, Brittany Stowe, uh, Brittany Snow, Jenny Ortega, Kid Cudi, uh, to, to name a few. Um, this is a really great horror movie um it does a lot of what um Texas Chainsaw Massacre does in the setups where like there's not a lot of there's not a lot of uh, music it's a, it's just like you know you hear the ambient sounds of like being isolated on like a farm and like the character you know in the middle of the day is just like standing in a field and it's like but in the shot the character is like you know like super tiny it's just to like drive home that like no one's around and you're yeah. screwed if something bad happens <laughs> and there's a lot of great setups like that um also you know the movie's called x and yes they're making an adult film and you know they there's a lot of um there's a lot of that in this a lot, so much that I was, I was actually taken aback because it's been a while and you know, like that's something that you don't see very often nowadays with, with the, I don't know if sensibility is the right word, but you don't make, you don't do these kinds of sex scenes in, in mainstream movies. Uh, so they really went there in this. Um, there's a lot of interesting things that, um, that, um, you know, there's commentary on on getting old and aging and and regrets in this movie. Um, there are some things that kind of happen a little out of left field, um, but there is a sequel or there is a prequel to this movie that I am very interested in seeing. Um, and I think, you know, like um, once I see that, I think I might go back and kind of write about both of them. But there's a new movie that Ty West did this um This season called Pearl, which Mm -hmm. focuses on the older woman in this movie, but in her like in her heyday, because the older woman in this movie kind of talks about, oh, when I was young, I was a dancer and everyone loved me. And and um and my husband would do anything for me before he went off to the war. So, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I think it's it gets mixed reviews from some people where they're like this is stupid and it makes no sense and it's not scary, but I think it, like it, you know, it it was, it was horrifying when, when people get hurt. (laughs) Um, (laughs) you know, it was super titillating at parts. And then it was just a really overall well done movie. I think all the acting is, is really, really good. Um, so I don't know, I, I think you, I think like if you, in the middle of the day, <laughs> you know, if you wanted to watch this, I think you would really enjoy it.
0: So uh, you haven't heard me say much. Uh, this is definitely, uh, Robbie's a scaredy cat, uh, doesn't watch a ton of horror movies. So you actually just heard a real life pitch for me to watch this movie from my friend. Uh, because I, I, I'm I very intrigued by this film. It, it's sort of, Ty West has become an indie darling you know, he is really beloved right now in the sort of film critics world. Uh, what's really interesting and I've listened to a lot about this film and about Pearl is that this movie was shot and then they shot Pearl at the same time um, with money that he hadn't spent. He convinced the studio to let him shoot the prequel at the same time. Wow. So these films were shot basically one after the other. Um, and I, I I think it's a huge risk that the studio was willing to let him take. And Mm -hmm. I think it's extremely smart for you to take a risk on a smart upcoming director in a cheap genre, right? Right. Like horror films don't cost a lot of money to make. They often are a way for people to get their foot in the door, right? Like think back to Sam Raimi, right? Like he, he and his friends made, you know, evil dead, for you know, twenty two dollars in a stick a stick of gum, right? Like in a in
1: a, in a high school gym, yeah. Right.
0: I mean, it, it's unbelievable that that movie sort of launched many careers, I- including yeah. theirs. I think Ty West uh, really seems to have uh, gotten buy in uh, early on in his career to be the guy that uh, people just believe is going to make something interesting, mm-hmm. um, and I that's why I'm so, that's why I've been listening so intently is I'm intrigued by X. There's, it's full of actors that I think are, uh, young and up and coming. Uh, I hear Mia goth is fantastic, uh, in the film.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, they're all, I mean, they're all really great. I mean, I, I, I don't think I. I think she for for many reasons and and once you see the movie for obvious reasons she shines. Yep. Um. But yeah, I think everyone is is really great in the movie and it's in in on paper this seems like a very simple movie. Yeah. I mean, for the most part, you know, it's like, um, like I kind of already said, it was like really attractive young people want to make an adult film. They go to a, a out of the way farm, and bad things happen to them. Yep. And that's pretty much, pretty much what you get. Um, but there are things that I haven't mentioned that happen that sure. um, are worth seeing. And uh, yeah, I think, I think you I think this is in your, I think, I think early, early spooky season, <laughs> you should, you should wa- at least watch this one. And I think, I think the right way to do it is watch this first and then go back and watch, watch Pearl. Pearl.
0: Um, The trailer for Pearl is everywhere right now. So if you, if you go, yeah. And we can also complain a little bit about trailers. Uh, Good Lord. uh, Before the main review uh, film that I saw this week, I I think I counted nine trailers. Um, And it's also just like, they don't know what trailers to put in front of what films at this point. They're sort of just stacking them all up. Doesn't matter. Genre. It doesn't matter. Um, So I've seen the Pearl trailer. Uh, It's gotta be 10 times in the last like three months
1: since we've started since we started recording geek on film and i've been more actively going to the movie theater i've seen the trailer for smile oh yeah at every single movie yep. i've seen to date since since we started recording or even talking about recording um but I, now I'm hearing that this mo- that movie is great. But I'm like, I'm kind of like, fuck that movie. I've seen the trailer. It's too many times. Why isn't it out yet?
0: But, yeah, um, they're it. really laying a lot of track with that, in my opinion, that they, mm-hmm. they're really wanting to make sure that we are aware of it, that everybody has seen it. I mean, I saw the Wakanda Forever trailer again today or again yesterday, and I've been seeing that trailer now for four months, like. I'm it, okay with that one though it's a fantastic trailer. It still yeah, gives yeah, me yeah. goosebumps, yeah, but like that trailer has been playing in front of a, it played in front of don't worry, darling
1: like yeah i you know that and the black Adam trailer like yes the big the big studios are like even in our like independent subsets, we're still gonna like show off our big budget movies, yep, so.
0: Um, okay, so I think we're good with our uh, review of X. I, I am interested to see if you feel the same way about Pearl. I would be very surprised if it's not just an extension of like your affection for this film, um, and probably even it's a little more clever by doing a prequel. Uh, I think you're probably going to love it, is my guess. And, and well,
1: Mar- Martin Scorsese said that Pearl is the movie that scared him
0: to no end. So, yeah, who, no,
1: I mean he also doesn't like Marvel movies.
0: So, you know, <laughs> Lots of shout-outs to our friend Martin. Uh, what up, Marty? We'll uh, be okay. a movie. We're going to jump over to our main review. So let's uh, let's get to Don't Worry, Darling. Uh, I, I often feel like I throw on you to explain the movie. This movie is not easy to explain. So I will take a crack at it and save you because I feel like I have been do that to you a lot. Uh, right. yeah, okay. It's a film that opens with us uh, in a place called Victory, Uh, That seems uh, to be almost like 50s Americana, a small city Mm -hmm. um, where there are uh, all the tropes of what people talk about uh, being positive. uh, If you were a man living in 50s Americana, Uh, nice cars, beautiful homes, uh, wife can can be at home, take care of the house. All of the sort of generic '50s Americana tropes uh, are on display here,
1: right? Um, Yeah, I mean, I mean, and I mean, who's to say? I mean, I don't know. Yeah, it's like it's like watching a a TV show from the
0: 1950s. Yep. Um, And then, so you're introduced to a lot of characters pretty quickly, um, not many of which actually, in my opinion, made that much of a difference. Uh, There's like. Two couples that are really important, or three couples total that are really important, but we're introduced to about 12 characters, I think, is, mm-hmm. is my guess. Um, Give or take, yeah. So, you know, the main character that we uh, open on and we spend time with is Florence Pugh's uh, Alice uh, and Harry Styles' Jack. Uh, they're the main couple that we focus on. Um, the other couple that I would note is Nick Kroll and is married to Olivia Wilde, uh, Mm -hmm. and Olivia Wilde's character is called Bunny. So yet another allusion to Alice in Wonderland and, uh, through the looking glass. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't think that's the last of these that we're going to talk about, but, uh, it's interesting that the names are right there on front street. Um, Mm -hmm. and the movie, uh, feels a little off, uh, Things feel, they feel fantastic for the first eight, 12 minutes, I would say. And then there's something not right in the space. Um, So before we go any further, we're, there's no way to talk about this film without spoiling it. Um, And you should probably see it if you're interested before we go any further. That all that is covered in the trailer. There's a whole bunch of things in the trailer that in my opinion are too much trailer. Uh, But if you're interested in this film, stop here go see the movie um, because I don't want to take away any of the twists and turns that are about to be unfurled. Cause pretty quickly we have to start talking about why this place is uh, what, what we're feeling in the movie as audience members and then where the movie goes. So I, I don't know that there's much more you can talk about at this point. Um, so what do I you mean, think, John?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think uh, we can kind of, st- we could talk about a lot of the themes and, and our take on like, Cinematography, cinematography, and stuff. Before we we get more spoilery, I think. Okay. Um, did you like this movie?
0: Um, no.
1: Right on. I I still don't know if I like this movie or not. Okay. Um, I think that I appreciate a lot of this movie in the sense that, um and I don't know if I hope this doesn't sound condescending at all, but I appreciate this movie for really driving home what it must be like to be a woman and be gaslit. Yeah. And that is, that was the big, that's the first number one takeaway I take, I have from this movie is good God, this is, I feel crazy. Um, and, um, um, and and uh and it, but it also didn't seem very out like far-fetched in a sense it was just it was finally presented into a way that i can digest to understand like fuck this is this is what women go through on a on a daily basis yep um you know there's um there's constant uh constant examples of just like blatant misogyny and fragility, male fragility in this movie. Yep. And I think that that is one of the reasons why um I think that when they're, they were writing the story, obviously they, they go back to the 1950s I feel because it's like, that is when it seems to me that that was the high point of like just misogyny. Yeah. Like you have, you know, you have things like, like mad men and you have, you know, um just just Mad Men was the 50s, right? It started in the 50s at least, yep. right? I believe um, so. Um, you know, and it's just uh it makes sense that we, we're in the fifties. Um but yeah, the uh, I found the movie incredibly frustrating. And the entire time I was watching the movie, I was like, I, I there were many times oddly where I was
2: like <laughs> <laughs>
1: um and up until up until a certain point i was so frustrated because i also was like oh my god they're just gaslighting her this is like this this is like you know like people use that word a lot and a lot of times what people are experiencing isn't necessarily gaslighting yep but like when you're when you constantly are um alternating the truth and 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 questioning what someone is doing uh and and making them feel crazy i feel like that's gaslighting and yeah. that happens to florence obviously throughout the entire movie um so, so yeah i one, i, I one think thing- yeah i think i liked this movie okay. but i'm not quite sure yet
0: so I, I i do want to talk about things i really liked okay i think the production design in this film is one of the most amazing looking films mm-hmm. uh yeah that I, the 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 glassware the the house the the mid-century modern houses the cars the, food,
1: the, the drinks
0: yeah, yeah it it looks unbelievable i i would not be surprised if i got a production design nod for sure mm-hmm. i think cinematography wise i think it's it's shot beautifully mm-hmm. um i don't love the editing a lot of the time uh okay. but i do think it's shot beautifully um i think the I think Florence Pugh is unbelievable as an actress. I think, uh, the choice to cast Florence Pugh to play Alice is either to let us know that she is miscast on purpose and does not belong in this world, or she's just miscast. Um, Mm. I think she carries the film. I think she's magnetic. I think you can't take your eyes off of her. I, I think she's acting circles around Harry Styles most of the time. Uh, I feel like he can't really hold up the emotional weight that she's bringing to the table. Um, I totally agree. And, and not, I'm, I don't think that he's bad. I just think that she's fantastic.
1: Um, I think, I think he's bad at this point. And I, and I, and I say that, and I say that with love that he's not an actor yet. Yeah. I think that, I think I, I totally believe that anybody can be an actor, but if you're going to come into this kind of movie with this kind of tone and, and this kind of, story yeah. and you're going to try to go up against uh florence Pugh, like you're out of your league dude like yeah. you needed like five more movies under your belt before you even consider well, this
0: movie she's in like 95 of the scenes of the movie he's in like 40 mm-hmm. of the film right yeah and and in those scenes like he, he just can't match her energy he can't act ca- her ability right like she's right She's just head and shoulders in those scenes above where he is. And it's, I, I, I yeah. So like, I, I but I want to count out. I want to also call in like Nick Kroll as Dean is fantastic.
1: Yeah. Because two um, decades does a lot of, he does a ton of stuff. Sure. But know? I think
0: it, his casting and Olivia Wilde as bunny is mm-hmm. unbelievably perfect. I think yeah. she is so good in this film as bunny. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why like all the other stuff that's going on, I have nothing against Olivia Wilde. I actually like book smart a lot. I've Mm -hmm. been following her career for a long time. Like I was a house fan, right? Like
1: I, Oh dude, I love her from OC.
0: (laughs) So, you know, we've been on board with, so like I have, I I went into this movie wanting to love it because I Mm -hmm. loved the trailer. I I love the aesthetic of it. I love so many of the actors that are in this. We haven't talked about Chris Pine and Gemma at all, and Mm -hmm. they are great. Uh, I think also slightly miscast. Gemma Chan doesn't get enough to do, but Mm. she is this like pointed, elegant woman who demands grace and elegance out of others, um, Mm. which is really an interesting role for her to play. But Chris Pine as sort of like boss man, cult leader, charming, smarmy is, is great. He's so good in this role. Um, I think when I one thing I've really loved is in the big picture podcast, they they talked about this film and they they I think said they they felt like the film was also smug and self-assured is the way like we have a we have a we have a we have a um, mystery that we know the answer to and you don't. And I feel like that is sort of the tone that Chris Pine has all the time. Like I know why this world is. I know what's going on here, right? Like, and you have to catch up. And I feel like he's sort of an, a, a a surrogate for. I think the way the film feels, the way it feels, which mm-hmm. is um, like excited that it knows where it's going and you don't is is the way I would put it.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, I think that I think that he, if you like Chris Pine as his character, Frank is just being Frank. Yeah. um, And n- not jumping into spoiler land yet, but like he has knowledge of a certain thing. And, and I think, you know, being the architect of victory yep, uh, and, and, and so on, like, yeah, he's got that information. And I think, yeah, like
0: I, I see what you're saying. Um, I, it's not a negative in this case. I think he's perfect. Oh. I think what he's doing yeah. is, unbelievable and I I am I was eminently charmed by him and and his arrogance to be honest like he has yeah. a confident arrogance about him right that he knows everybody is team Frank everybody is bought into what he is selling you know
1: yeah I mean and that's I mean that's another one of those like really kind of uncomfortable things about the movie and you see that I don't know it's, it's you know maybe it's because it's just the way that th- this movie delivers everything, it just is hitting me uh, more clearly. But like, um, it's like uh, the the admiration that all the men have in this movie for, for Frank or for other men and not women Yep. is fucking gross. Yeah. You know, and like, it's like, finally it's one of those things that kind of like you... It's you. You put it in this in under this lens, and all of a sudden, I'm like, "Fuck these guys," and and especially that fucking guy. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, and uh, well, and
0: Nick Kroll's Dean, right? Like his affection mm-hmm. for Frank and the way he talks about him yeah. when the new guy comes in, and mm-hmm. he doesn't talk with that much affection about Bunny, right? Like, yeah, he, they are a perfect pair in this ecosystem. They feel like a couple that is the sort of upper crusty, smarmy you know suburban couple from the fifties um but his affection is not for bunny it's for frank
1: yeah um the the thing that i one of the things that i found problematic about the 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 film but then again i thought about it again i was like well on the other hand maybe it's not problematic and maybe it Shines this person in a in a better light. So in the in the in the film, um, I don't remember the actress's name, um, but they keep talking about one of their female friends who, uh, is under high stress, and um, she's one of if not the only, uh, black actress in. Oh, the- Kiki
0: Kiki Lane is the actress, and her character's right. name
1: is Margaret. Yep. And she's kind of she has gone away to some sort of um, uh, to get some help. Yeah, and she's come back, and she's all of a sudden like kind of not on board with everybody. Now, I was like, when I was watching this, like, well, how come the only black actress is the one being the problem? And I was like, ugh. Then again. Thinking about the the movie afterwards. Yep. Maybe she's the fucking smartest one out of all of them. Yeah. Um. So I don't know. I just thought I'd mention that. Yeah. Uh, just so if you've seen the movie or you're gonna see the movie, um, uh, you can you can see it both ways I think. Yeah. Um, and you can choose which one you wanna you wanna see.
0: All right. Uh, I, the last shout out on casting and people. I, I wanted to really talk about Kate Berlant uh, as Peg. She is one of the women who's pregnant uh, in, in, they, they, they make the joke that uh, she needs another drink, uh, get her a cigarette, things like that, which are so out of date today and feel so weird. Mm -hmm. Uh, But she's fantastic. She has a a great improv and comedy background and she feels so grounded. And, and uh, in, in the moment, in the gossipy scenes with her and bunny and Alice, she's, she's just a breath of fresh air in all of those scenes. She's, yeah, she's very different than the other women. And I, I think that's a fun aspect of what she brings to the table. Um, yeah, totally. yeah. And you know, her partner is uh, her husband is Asif Ali It's Peter. Uh, I think he's good. I just don't think he has much to do. I think she is sort of taking all of the oxygen when that couple is together with the rest of the group. Cause she's so right. she's given great lines. Like I think she's, she's fantastic. Uh, yeah. And she's, you know, r- really fun to be a part of this cast.
1: Yeah, so you want to start? You want to start creeping our way into spoiler territory? Yeah,
0: I think we're safe. We're a minute and twenty-seven, an hour twenty-seven in. If you uh, have made it this far and you don't want this movie spoiled, now's the time.
1: So yeah, so um, so one of the things about the movie is, um, all the men work. They work for Frank. uh, They go off to work and they go and they drive out into the desert to this big headquarters mountain thing. But they're not allowed to talk about. They're not allowed to talk to anybody or to their wives about what they do. Um, but once in a while, there's like rumblings that happen in the uh, in the town, and everyone's like, "Oh, it's the boys at work." Um, but what happens is Florence walks out to the desert, makes it to headquarters, touches the glass. Weird things happen. There's some weird visualizations, and then all of a sudden, she wakes up in uh, in her bed. Um I don't know, do we do we just talk about this? Yeah. so this is the moment yeah so so we finally figure out what's happening uh and this is the moment this is the moment when the big reveal happens I audibly said are you fucking kidding me out loud <laughs> because when you're in it I was super frustrated I was getting so frustrated um trying to figure out what what I was trying to answer these questions before they answered them and I was just being, I was probably just as fl- frustrated as Florence was, if not, um, I'm, you know, whatever. And then you find out that, you find out that this is all a computer simulation where in the real world, uh, Alice, Florence's character, um, is a medical surgeon and she has her own career and her husband is kind of uh, seems unemployed or something, or he's just always on the internet at home. She's kind of looks like she's supporting both of them. And he's kind of like this, like very, he's like the epitome of male fragility, I think. Yep. Um, But what happens is he signs up for this program. He drugs, Alice. Yep. Knocks her out. So she's constantly living in this computer simulation. So she's just living in this bed hooked up to an IV with like clockwork orange scanners in her eyes. Yep. And he goes to work in the real world to support them and then comes home and joins her in the in in victory. Um, so they can live out their lives. Um, and he, she can be subservient and he can be awesome and sexy and everything like that. And I was just like, what the fuck? Yeah. Are you
0: kidding I, me? I think one, like, one thing to, to note when he, when you, when she comes home from work, right, she walks out of surgery. She walks right to the apartment. She goes home. Uh, she, she, you know, they're, they live in a sort of small one bedroomish looking apartment. Um, you know it's because of what's going on in their world he seems frustrated with her that she can't focus on him while mm-hmm. she's working um but it sounds like he's listening to a podcast i believe he's listening to a podcast called victory something mm-hmm. and the podcaster is chris pine so mm-hmm. i think he is sort of been listening to this like uh conspiracy yeah. like podcast and uh and that's sort of where i think all this starts um yeah. There's one pretty wicked question that they ask, which is just, uh, do you have a previous relationship with this person that you are going to bring into victory? And the answer is yes or no, it is not wife or girlfriend. So I think there's an allusion to the fact that some of the women in victory may not even know the men that have brought them in here.
1: That's gross.
0: Yeah. That's even Um, worse. Yeah. So th- that's it- the thing that keeps kept, keep me going. And, and there's a lot of like um, the visual tweaks and things like that, that are, you've been seeing glitches in Alice's world are mm-hmm. the sort of entry video scanner uh, to get you into victory. It's, right. it's either like a visual cue that triggers something post hypnotically, or it is just sort of the on-ramp to getting into victory that you see.
1: Yeah. And the, the, So, and also the soundscape of this movie is very important. And sometimes you hear people talking or you hear things um, and it doesn't fit the scene and stuff like that. Like, but they just are like these far off whispers. And I think, you know, when you finally know what the situation is, you realize like, Oh, like one of the triggers that, um, that Alice experiences to bring her out of her like kind of days when she gets put back into the program is Harry Styles starts humming this song and it's the same song that he hums to her. And when he's like fixing her IV or he's just like creepily, you know, kissing her cheek or something and he's humming it then. So when she gets put back,
0: putting, putting his thumb on her bottom lip. Right.
1: Right. Um,
0: I think that is a trigger that eventually gets her to start to put it all together.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I, I have to go back. I'll to the point where, like, if if this were if this were just a more seasoned actor, and I'm not saying it should be Shia LaBeouf because I don't think he's the right actor for this either, I think that all of this would have been more impactful if you know. And again, no hate on Harry Styles, but yo, you're out of your league, bro. Like, like it. it, it if they could have found someone, and 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 I don't want to get into like the I, I want to I would love us like we talked prior, like not to get into the this the baggage that is following this film around but man oh man if it could have been anybody else uh i think that these all these scenes would have would have hit a lot harder well
0: and and that's why i said earlier that i feel like even florence Pugh is slightly miscast in this movie like <clears throat> if what you're trying to do is say that she's a uh she's out of sorts for the world she's in then it's a clever casting if what you wanted was this actress to sort of feel more like she was the right age, the, the, the right feel for a Stepford wives, fifties rendition. I, I, I don't know that Florence Pugh is the right actress, but I think she's great in this. I, I mm-hmm. nothing taken away from the acting that she's doing or the, or the portrayal of the character, but mm. she definitely feels like a little bit of sand in the Vaseline in the, in the movie. Whereas like Olivia Wilde and Nick Kroll feel very in this movie.
1: I think that, I think that was intentional.
0: I hope I, it I is. Do. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I think, think Harry Styles looks the part. I just don't think he, like he, he looks like he could be a fifties, Um, you know. Uh, sure. he,
1: yeah. He's super, he's gorgeous and he's very clean cut in this. And um, I think that his accent is a little off putting and strange at points. Because like I'm like, are you doing it? Or are you not doing it? Are you gonna try to do an American accent? Or are you not gonna try to do an American
0: accent? Yeah, and they allude to the fact that like he is British because they they somebody says like keep calm and carry on. What is that? What do mm-hmm. your people say? So right. there's a little back and forth about the accent and about you know what, what what we're supposed to think about Jack. I feel like
2: yeah.
1: But some of the uh, yeah, I mean, but even as we are talking about this movie, I'm like I think it deserves at least another viewing. Mm-hmm. Um, knowing everything that you know from the end, I think like it'd be a very different experience on a second viewing. I think what I what I one of the things I was walking when I was walking away from this movie, like Peg, who's played by you mentioned by uh, Kate Berland. Yep. She's just she's just always pregnant. Yes. Because she wants to be pregnant. Yeah. And I think that's like fascinating. You know, I think. There are things like that that happen in the movie. And, it, um, you know, if we're going to just keep throwing spoilers out there. Yeah. Um, you know, Olivia Wilde's character, Bunny, is is completely aware that she's in a... Um, simulation. A, virtu- a virtual simulation. Yeah. Uh, she's lost her children in, in the real world. And she... She has them here, and that's why that's one of the reasons she stays here. Although that's the that's one of the weirdest things because she could care care less about her children right. in this prior scenes in this movie. Yep. So that that part didn't add up for me.
0: There's a um, lot of things that don't add up to me. Like if if a man yeah. gets killed in this world, he dies in the real world. But if a woman dies in this world, they don't die in the real world.
1: Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and, and and I was like, and I also was curious. I was like, are there NPCs in this world too? Like, are, are like the people who, so non-player
0: character, if you haven't played like a
1: lot of, yeah. (laughs) But like are the, um, all of a sudden these like mysterious people, um, men in red jumpsuits come all of a sudden, are those actual sentient people or are they computer programs? Are the people who drive the trolleys around? Are they computer programs? What? Like, so I don't know. It's, um, there, there, is, there are as many questions as there are answers, I think.
0: Well, and then there's also just a random murder that happens at the end that I'm like, what, wh- why?
1: What's... Well, I I feel like that...
0: But I feel like it was supposed to be like a cheerworthy moment for the audience. And I was just like, I don't... Under- I'm so it, confused. It definitely wasn't
1: earned, yeah. yeah. I don't think... I don't think... Uh, so, so, yeah, continue again, spoiler. But like at the very end... Things are going to shit. Everyone's being, um, all the people in charge are being told that, you know, Florence Pugh's character, Alice is going to get out and she's going to mess it up for all of us. Yep. So Chris Pine's character is freaking out in a, in a Chris Pine kind of way, in a Frank kind of way. And Genma Chan, uh, just flat out stabs him. And is like, now it's my turn. And I was like, well, what, what are we trying to say here?
0: Right. Like, so th- then you get into fictitious. What, what, what story are we telling? Is mm-hmm. it, is Gemma Chan's character, a, the person a, who's running victory, not him?
2: Well,
1: well, here's the thing I want to, here's what I'm going to tell you. Here's yeah. what I'm going to, I'm going to present to you. Okay. What's his name? What's Chris Pine's name? Frank. Frank. Yep. Yeah. Her name is Shelley. Yep. Yeah. Mary, Mary Shelley. Uh-huh. Frankenstein. Yeah. So maybe she's the architect of this whole thing.
0: Yeah. I mean, but it's possible. really,
1: he's the monster that I think that something happened in editing.
0: Yeah. I, I think <laughs> that there's we've probably, lost,
1: we've lost like maybe 20 minutes of important story that, that, uh, that we, that we need.
0: Yep. I agree. Uh, I, they, there's no payoff for the Alice and bunny at all because bunny never leads her to anything. Mm-hmm. right? Like if you're going to have that motif, she just
1: shows her the way out. Really. That's yeah. that's it. Yeah.
0: Um, all right. I, I think I, we've, we've definitely talked about this a lot. I, I think uh, my, my takeaway is I, I agree with you. It's probably worth watching again. Um, I, not to open up a whole new can of worms. This is a little bit like for me with like last, last night in Soho, I absolutely mm-hmm. love the first 20 minutes visually, but it's yeah. stunning. And I feel like last night in Soho similar, and I, I don't love that the, the way it lands But Mm -hmm. I also don't think it's as disingenuous a story as this is. So Mm. I, I don't know how many times I'll watch this, but I would probably watch that opening twenty-minute sequence again. To the first time that all the men go off to work and see like the parade, the rainbow of beautiful cars, like it's it's stunning, like the absolutely visually stunning.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I saw this movie alone. Mm-hmm. um as in i, I didn't bring anybody yeah. um i wasn't the only person in a the theater um but i do want to i think i do want to bring my wife to see this movie and then i just want to have a conversation afterwards be like what did this movie make? like how did this movie make you feel um because i think it's i think i would assume that um a you know a, a cis male's experience with this movie is very different than than a uh, a female's experience, so yeah. I'm very curious to to hear that kind of what 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 that insight is. Um, and if you're listening and you happen to be female and you've seen this movie, write us a comment about your thoughts or tweet us or, yeah. or whatever.
0: Um, I, I would say I, I'm interested to see what the discourse is going to be. We've we've had all the chaos happening in the Hollywood rag world and, and Mm -hmm. all the stuff coming out of the film festivals and early critics reviews. I I Mm want to see what, what, like, you know, everybody in the movie going public, I want to see how it's received. It opened this weekend to $19.3 million. It it was the number one film in the, in, in America. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I'm interested to see what the drop-off looks like. Um, I, So it's pretty standard to have a 40% drop-off in the second week uh, for most films. I I will be really interested to see what next weekend looks like. Is this, is this a 50 plus percent drop-off? Is this, does it hold tight because a lot of people want to see it and it's got so many amazing actors in it. I I expect that the Harry Styles fans are going to go out and see it, which is probably what pushed it to 19.3. It originally was, they thought it was going to open at about 16. So it's opened above the expectations. Wow. Um, it had a pretty good opening Thursday night. I think it was three million dollars. So, just yeah. some interesting numbers on this film, uh, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I am interested to see what other people have to say about it. I've been trying to capture every single film podcast's view of this and see what they have to say about it. And uh, mm. I I often treat this our podcast as a conversation where we get to decide what our feelings are. And I I treat a lot of other podcasts the same way. I'll, I'll listen to people's opinions. Because uh, mm-hmm. I feel like it's it's a conversation of me with the podcast hosts to figure out, like, to help me figure out what my feeling is about a film. Um, yeah. I'm interested to see how the general public takes to this film.
1: Yeah, um, talking it through, any 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 change in thoughts or anything like
0: that? Not really. I think I, I'm pretty solidly. This is like a two and a half star film for me uh, is the way I would put it. I, I think it has extremely good below the line usage. I think, uh, uh, honestly, the, the, the biggest, you know, Florence Pugh is fantastic. Olivia Wilde is fantastic. And Chris Pine is is great. Uh, there's mm-hmm. really good acting across the board. I just don't like the film.
1: Right on. Yeah, I think um, I would rate it a little higher. And I think I did on on uh, Letterboxd. Um, just because I think that... Uh, I think that I'm, I, I think I want to root for this film. Uh, the more and more I think about it, um, I, I think that it did affect me and it made me think, which I appreciate, you know, and, and that's kind of what, what good art should do. And yeah. um, and, and I think that it's also getting bashed by people, obviously, who don't take the time to see it, and they're just like, a woman director. Woman, mo- mainly woman cast, bullshit, one star, yeah. you know, kind of thing, and I think that is the problem in society nowadays, where like every movie that tries to kind of push us to an, a next level in awareness uh, just gets shut down by by white supremacy. We'll okay. just say it there. <laughs> but but that but just even even just saying what I just said reminded me. When is the last time that you, you got to see? so many female actresses being directed by a female director yep. um, before, you know, it's been quite a while for me at least. And maybe, I mean, maybe I'm just not seeing the right movies or something, but I mean, was it possibly that, the that little women that was out a few years ago with, with Florence Pugh? Yeah. I don't know. I mean,
0: Greta Gerwig. Yeah. The Woman King is an interesting one, right? Like, uh, yeah, when uh, I just listened to somebody talk about the screening they saw, I think it was a TIFF, and they they actually asked all of the below the line people to stand up—the cinematographer, the sound person—and it was almost all women of color, and they were very struck by how powerful that film was, and all the way down the line, it was representative. Um, Mm
2: -hmm. But I, I,
0: you know, this week alone, I've now seen Don't Worry, Darling, The Woman King. Last week, I saw Pleasure. All, all female writers and directors, which is really mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah. So,
1: I mean, those are the kind of things you got to support. And yeah. I'm almost uh, reminded of, um, <laughs> I'm almost reminded of Joe Coy's Easter Sunday. Cause it's like, yep. that wasn't the best movie, but that movie needs to be made and it needs to be able to fail. And we need to be able to make more movies like it so we can get better at it. Yep. Um, and you know, I feel like, I don't know. I don't want to sound contrite or whatever, but yeah, like women, women led movies with starring women need to be made. Like, let's just say that, you know? And, um, absolutely. I feel like that's why I'm, I'm psyched that like the woman King is doing really well in the box office. And I know that there's like, like once we air, once our podcast went live, I got a little nervous to be honest, because all of a sudden, you're seeing all this social media backlash about like, well, that's not what the Dahomey tribe is. But then like, but then you see these other people who are like, well, actually that kind of is what the Dahomey tribe is. And you have to remember that history is written by white people who wanted to vilify the Dahomey people. And if you look at the, I don't know, I can go into that as uh, I can go on a tangent about that too. And now I'm just babbling. And if I can't believe anyone is still listening at this point.
0: (laughs) well let's just end it there i i think this has been uh i i, I thought this might be a shorter episode uh because we d- i didn't have a whole lot of films to bring to the table but i'm glad we spent some serious time discussing don't worry darling i hope yeah if you were intrigued by our uh, and, and you came back to listen to this after you saw it that you got something out of the conversation we had i feel like this was a film that i have been looking forward to and I, I was a little disappointed by the story that was being told. I, so I don't know that I, I have a problem with almost anything here, except I didn't love the script is really what it mm-hmm. came down to. I think. Yeah. Um, uh, I think, uh, I, I'm interested to see what Olivia Wilde does next. I hope that mm-hmm. this doesn't, um, slow her down. Uh, I really I liked book smart. Well. I think it was really yeah. fun. I think you can see there's an adept eye here at what's going on, especially, you know, the, the, probably even like the, till till you get, there's some really beautiful visualizations in this film, the ballet, Mm. like there's some really beautiful scenes and, and uh, I really like the approach that Olivia Wilde is taking in this film. So I'm interested to see what she does next.
1: Yeah. And I think, um, I think if anything like the, yeah, trying really hard not to get into the, the nitty gritty of like the stuff that she's had to go to go through with this film and stuff. But I think if anything, um, that being like that stuff aside, she's just going to get more hungry and more focused in what the kind of next film she wants to make. I think.
0: Yeah. And honestly, Florence Pugh is just, uh, she's got a rocket trap to her right now. I mean, she's, she's off doing Dune 2. Like she's probably in our top five, you know, actors of this generation. Like she's going to continue to grow and she's already amazing. So
1: midsummer, man,
0: I I watched uh, about, an hour and two minutes or so i I watched a bunch of it and i'm like i can't do
1: it no okay okay but also let's not forget you know who you know who had a very early um love for her who dwayne the rock johnson
0: i mean yeah of course
1: fighting with my family he even went on the he he even went on an interview to say look out for this girl she's gonna be huge
0: (laughs) well he's right i mean you know rock is you know he's the people's champ let's be real he is Uh, Let's leave it there. Uh, This has been super fun. I look forward to us talking next week. I think we're probably going to be discussing blonde. So another film with a little bit of concern and controversy. We'll see how that goes. Uh, First NC 17 film in a long time. That's uh, coming out of major studio. Uh, We will see how it goes. Uh, I look forward to discussing it with you though, John.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So um, thanks for listening. If you're still listening, um, please, 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 please shoot us a, uh, a, a like on social media. Um, if you can follow our, our podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a rating, five stars would be great. And please take the time if you could, if you're really enjoying it, uh, to actually write an actual review. Those really, really help. Uh, yeah. Or even if you just want to like, you know, like or retweet our tweets and stuff.
0: Yep. But uh, we would Geek love to Film, hear from you. We're GeekOnFilm.com everywhere on Instagram and on Twitter. Uh, we're also on Facebook. So feel free to follow us everywhere. Um, and until next week, it's been really fun chatting with you, John. I'll talk to you then. All right. You too, man. Take it easy. See ya. This has been a Geek on Film podcast. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.